Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened, where we discuss, explore, and connect with fellow empaths, healers, intuitives, and seekers. Hello empaths, today we're discussing practical, easy to implement tips for managing your stress with mindfulness expert Julie Potiker. A former attorney, Julie is a certified mindful self-compassion teacher and founder of the Balanced Mind Meditation Center in California. She created Mindful Methods for Life, which uses psychological systems and neuroplasticity techniques to rewire the brain for less stress, more happiness, and greater resilience. Her work has been featured by The Oprah Magazine, Mindfulness Journal, NBC, CBS, and more. And in her new book, Snap, From Chaos to Calm, Julie shares the SNAP system, which includes evidence-based mindfulness practices that are easy to learn, remember, and do anywhere, even in the heat of the moment. Julie, we're so excited to have you on the show. Welcome. I'd love it if you could start by telling listeners how about with a severe stress in your own life led you on this path. Oh, wow. So going back many, 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 many years, I was sitting in a neurologist's office hoping to rule out a brain tumor because my speech was garbled. My words were screwed up and he ruled that my brain was healthy, but it was suffering from extreme stress. He recommended mindfulness-based stress reduction, MBSR, which is an excellent, you know, kind of gold standard class that was created by John Kabat-Zinn in 1979, actually, the year I graduated from high school. It's that old, this course. So consequently, it's been studied up and down and sideways because people in the West want these things to be evidence-based so that they can then be taught in hospitals, in pain clinics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I took that class. I thought it was interesting enough that it put me on the neuroscience path, the brain science path. And I just started, because I'm a lifelong learner, taking more and more and more courses. And some years after that, Mindful Self-Compassion was created by Kristen Neff and Chris Germer. And the first class of it was taught at UCSD Center for Mindfulness. Who knows why that is? Because it could have been at Berkeley. It could have been at UCLA. Chris Germer's at Harvard. Kristen Neff's at, at Texas. So, but somehow it ended up in my backyard. And because I had taken mindfulness-based stress reduction from UCSD Center for Mindfulness, I was on their listserv. So I got this email. I mean, it's really serendipity, actually. We have a new course. It's called Mindful Self-Compassion. It's it's uh, eight weeks. I think it was three hours a week for eight weeks. And I signed up and took it. And that was the class that I thought, okay, this is brilliant because it was completely healing. It warmed up and made explicit the things that were in MBSR that um, that weren't explicit. So self-kindness, self-care, and it added stuff that MBSR didn't have because they didn't have the know-how back then. So I started practicing that class that was like in 2010. And then in 2014, 
they advertised a teacher training for that class. And so I applied, there were 52 of us in the five day teacher training, 49 therapists, me, a recovering lawyer and a physical therapist. And when I completed the training, I started teaching right away. And then I eventually went through their certification um, process. And I did that because I wanted to be able to offer continuing ed credits. If I was teaching the healthcare adaptation for hospital workers, I wanted them to be able to get their continuing ed credits. So that was a really, was that so boring that I just talked and talked, but that's the truth of that whole thing. Oh, it's not boring at all. And I'm just fascinated because I'm thinking, I know some dear people in my life who are attorneys and to be able to switch gears and go to the other side of your brain and say, okay, I need to start taking care of myself and be more mindful. And I think it was incredibly important for you where with where you were in your life, but especially with where people are right now with the way things are. This is the the timeliness of what you're offering is incredible because we hear those words thrown around self-care self-compassion but then to have something that you can actually apply the methods for someone who may be very logical and linear yeah so is that part of your the premise of your book is to make it user-friendly in a way for people yeah. who might not be absolutely blue? so so the first book was more of like a mindfulness memoir real heavy on the mindful self-compassion and its stories the second book, SNAP, is, the, is just to push the SNAP method out into the world. So I went through all the years from 2014 to 2021, I think, or is when I, maybe 2022. And I, and I applied SNAP to each, each blog, to each story, so that I could show people how to do it. So I'll show you guys how to do it with your, I'll, I'll say enough words so your listeners who can't see us <laughs> will understand. So SNAP's a method for managing difficult emotions and for, and for um, calming down your nervous system. That's what it is. So it starts with snapping your fingers. And then the S is soothing touch. And soothing touch is completely brilliant. It's the mammalian caregiver response. And it's going to release oxytocin and endorphins in you when you place your hands on your own body. So you don't need your mother to do this for you. You can place your hands cradling your face or on your heart or on your belly or hugging your arms or hand in hand if you're in a business meeting or whatever. One of these places is going to work for you for sure. And it's going to start you calming down before you even can get your brain online. Your body is going to start helping you. So that's gorgeous. That's the S. The N is name the emotion. Name it to tame it. Name it to tame it. Part of that is also getting more seconds so that you can get this front part of your brain behind your forehead online because that's where you're going to make a more skillful response name it to tame it this is fear this is grief this is anger this is anxiety and then the act the a 
is what do I need to hear right now? And what do I need to do right now? And these are the mindful self-compassion overarching questions. What do I need to hear right now? Look around where you are. You're actually safe right now if it's fear or anxiety. You're, you're talking to these two nice ladies. You're on a Zoom call. You're in your house. You're safe, sweetheart. And then B, part B of, or number two of the act is what do I need to do right now to shift my mood? And that's gonna depend on your toolbox. So you might look at your joy list that you've written down and it, it might say, call Samantha, call Denise. It might say, look outside, take a walk. It might say, grab a cup of tea. You know what I mean? It might be like, do a meditation, get in the bathtub. It's going to be whatever it is that brings you joy. Play that song that's going to help you shift your mood. And maybe it's going to be a couple things. Sometimes I get in the bathtub, I light a candle, I put bath salts in, I put Carol King on, you know, I need to like hit me with everything I got, right? to really relax and to feel better. And then the last part of SNAP is P, praise. And this is very personal. So it depends on your own spiritual practice and it works for everybody. Some people are gonna thank the universe. Some people are gonna thank Jesus. Some people are gonna thank God. Some people are gonna thank Allah. I mean, it's, and that, Doves right in beautifully to gratitude. And gratitude is an humongous mental health and well being helper in every areas of our life. So that's snap. I love it. It's it's practical, it's hands-on, and it's helpful. And it's and the acronym makes it easy to remember. You so the 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 P is about praise. Yeah. You write about your journey with prayer and how you used to kind of have a hard time with it. And now you've changed that. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Oh, yeah. So, well, one day I realized because I teach loving kindness meditation. And the reason I teach it is because science has shown that it makes people more altruistic. So... On the Balanced Mind with Julie Potaker podcast, which is free, which is just meditations, there's hundreds of them, everyone with the poem, each meditation is some sort of loving kindness meditation. It's a morph of, I mean, they're, they're extemporaneous. It's whatever is coming out of my mouth. None of them are scripted. So, but eventually they are all going to be breathing in something good for yourself and breathing out something good for others. That's what makes it loving kindness. So it's like peace or hope or faith or whatever coming in and peace and love and, you know, kumbaya coming out. And it can be to specific individuals, to regions of the planet, you know, it. they're great. So I realized one day that that's actually prayer. and um, And I got comfortable with it that you're really actually praying your guts out, wishing people well and wishing things well. Now I have to admit something. 
because we're talking now today that I'm Jewish and the October 7th massacre in Israel broke me open and the ensuing war and however many tens of thousands of innocent Palestinians living in Gaza being bombed to smithereens. The whole thing is so, it's unspeakable, but we have to speak it, right? We have to say it out our mouth to get it out of our body. So <clears throat> since this whole thing has happened, I've become more tribal. I always thought of myself as this like Julie Potiker kind of Buddhist, but culturally Jewish human universal of the planet Earth. And now I'm sort of feeling, oh my God, my people are under threat. I need to move to my tribe. I need, I need to be closer to my tribe and I need to be really volunteering for my tribe and you know it's and the reason that i'm saying this is because you asked about prayer and and prayer and spirituality it's oftentimes religious and i was never religious with mine and now i'm feeling like i mean the words in the prayer book don't resonate to me but i'm feeling really more I don't know. It's tribal is what I think is the answer. I think I'm feeling more tribal. How do you how do you respond to that either of you? Yeah, no, I understand that. I mean, it's it's a traumatic thing that's happening on on both sides and like you said, it's just it's a terrible thing that we're going through and so to align with with your history, I think makes perfect sense. When you were having that broken open moment, did you think to yourself because I know sometimes I have to do this. Did you think to yourself, wait, I'm a spiritual teacher. <laughs> like, how am I going to respond to this based yeah. on what I've been teaching people? Like, do you ever have those moments where, you know, things fall apart, as they say, and then you're like, wait, wait, I have resources. Let, let me right. let me remember them for myself. Right. It's so interesting because I normally do Tanglen, which is a more advanced Buddhist practice, like when there's a mass shooting or you know, a tsunami or an earthquake or a flood or whatever, I normally am able to do Tanglen where I'm breathing in the pain and suffering and just allowing it to rack me. And then I'm morphing it on my exhale into like clear, peaceful, light, love, cool, you know, breath of clearing. And with this massacre, in Israel, I couldn't do it. I can't, I can't do, I can't do Tanglen. So I'm, it's interesting. So I'm just telling the truth. I can't, that's not working for that. And I'm just doing more mindfulness activities. I'm doing snap however many times a day. I'm hitting my toolbox. I'm finding glimmers of joy. And I'm making sure 
that I breathe them into my body for enough moments to wire and fire a new neural bridge to keep my brain from my my brain and my heart and my soul from slipping into a depression. And it's working. I mean, I've got a really epic toolbox. I did also call my therapist who I've spoken to just a few times in the last, I don't know, since the pandemic, maybe two, three times. And um, I said, you know, okay, I'm having, I'm having like flashbacks of things I didn't see, just things I read about that are so traumatic. So I'm just reaching out because that's sort of a, a warning to me, you know, and then um, just saying, just saying that out my mouth is what I needed to do to help myself. And now I'm not having those flashbacks. Yeah, talking it out is so important. And the beautiful thread between everything that you're speaking about is that when I, I wrote down how beautifully all inclusive your SNAP method is, it this is not based on demographic or or you know geography or income level. It's just on being a human being. And you're bringing that same thread into doing this work for the turmoil that's happening in the world right now is, in my own personal opinion, is we have to get to that place of true humanitarian compassion yeah. in order to be able to shift things. And when you mentioned finding your feeling that draw to your tribe, that seems to be um, an incredible need, desire for w whatever your tribe may be to connect in community because in community we're stronger and we can change this. And I, I, and that's not being Pollyanna or click my heels three times. It's more, I really believe that that can make a difference. And the only other thing that I'd like to add in is I was again, writing notes as you were speaking and about the snap method and thinking there's so much right now on ancestral healing on yeah. ending patterns on and for those who are in that part of the world, the ancestral lineage on both sides, it's so much. It is just yeah. so much that I think finding anything we can do for ourselves to, to temper that, to make it, I, don't, I, I can't even say it's so, you know, when my words don't come to me on this, because this is not that we're at a turning point. Yeah. It's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of darkness. And we've got to be like beacons of light. 100%. So in order to be a beacon, you've got to have some energy. So that's where I fill myself up with my toolbox so that I can actually step up and, and be the light. And really be aware, be, a, be present, send healing. Yeah. But it's the absolute perfect example of, you know, take care of yourself so that you can shine that light a little bit brighter for other people right now. Last night I taught a workshop. Um, there were 35 women and in somebody's living room and I only knew one of the women. Um, and I was trying to figure out how to help them, right? They're um, all Jewish National Fund um, volunteers. And so I like had my packets of handouts and I, I'm 
I have such a high degree of empathy um, that I was just sort of reading the room. Like, what do they need? I wanted to give them tools to calm down, but I also wanted to be able to hold them with their trauma, actually. Um, so it was really interesting. It, it, it turned out really well. You know, like I, I, I've been holding this group every Wednesday morning since the beginning of the pandemic. That, um, and by the way, all this is volunteer. I'm not trying to make any money off of anybody. So um, the synagogue that I pay dues to, but never go, um, reached out to me at the beginning of the lockdown and said, could you teach a mindfulness or meditation on our virtual learning platform? I think our congregation, because everybody was freaking out. Do you remember March at the beginning of SARS, COVID-19? Nobody knew what the hell was going on. We were like, leave your mail outside for two days, you know, spray your groceries with hypochlorous. I mean, it was a crazy time. So I taught every Tuesday and Thursday for like a few months. And then they asked me, would I please continue? And I said, sure, but let's just do it once a week. So I picked Wednesday because it was taking a long time because I was, I like to read a poem at the end. So I was reading so much poetry and then I don't want to read a poem from a poet that I didn't research. <laughs> anyway, it's really fun rabbit holes, but it was taking a lot of time. So I was so I started doing it um, once a week and then I kept doing it. I'm still doing it. So in March, it'll be four years, which is just unbelievable. And now we have a war. <laughs> so I thought it could never get worse than the pandemic. And one of the woman's husband had a lung transplant and then he died and two other ladies husbands died of different things and so i got my certified um grief educator <laughs> certificate because i was so afraid of saying something not as helpful as i might say you know what i mean so anyway i've got this group they all still show up maybe 25 30 people every wednesday morning on zoom and this wednesday morning because there's kind of like a, a check in. How was the meditation for you after the meditation, which is about 20 minutes? One of the women got into like how she's really feeling and it brought the whole room down because she got into not only the trauma of the war, she then got into the trauma of maybe America losing its democracy and maybe moving towards a dictatorship and, you know, and then one of the other women said, you know what? I was feeling really good after that meditation and now I feel terrible. Mm. So I'm like, okay, I can fix this. Let's, we've got time. Let's go into another meditation. Let's change our channel. And I will be a little bit stronger in the future on moderating what, what we all hold in here because I want it to be a place of refuge. I don't want it to be another thing that people do in their day that's crap, that makes them feel like crap. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard right now. 
It is hard. And it's tricky because sometimes people just need to express and share what they're really feeling. And other times there are people who just marinate in that negativity all the time, no matter what's going on in the world. And I think part of, in my opinion, part of self-compassion is learning which people are good for you to be around (laughs) and which people are not so good for you to be around. Yeah. What are are your, your views on, on setting self-compassion as a primary goal for yourself? I think a lot of people feel, I don't know, a little guilty focusing on that. You know, there's, there's a, Another lovely book besides yours that helped me a lot uh, by Dr. Bud Harris called Sacred Selfishness, where he tries to, you know, de yeah. that word is selfish. Yeah. So I just love your, your opinions on that. So if you go to Kristen Neff, Dr. Kristen Neff's website, and you look under the research tab, you'll see all of the myths to self-compassion debunked with actual evidence-based studies. So they show that like people that are more self-compassionate do better in the workplace because they try more because they know if they fail, they'll be nice to themselves. So like all the things that you think about self-compassion making you selfish or lazy are actually not true. It actually makes you more, it makes you a better friend, a better wife, a better, it makes you a better at all of that interpersonal communication stuff. And it makes you better in the workplace too. Yeah, I agree with that. But you said something interesting just now about negativity and negative people and throwing a boundary up. Um, And I think that's really I think that's really important and I think it's really smart if you can. I mean, if it's your family member, maybe you can't do that. But if it's people in the community that you know, every time you're with them, when you leave, you feel like there's like this thick, dark, gray gunk that you're trying to just break through and get it off of you. Don't hang out with that person. Yeah. I agree. And I do think you can set boundaries with family members. It's a little trickier. It takes more time and you got to set it and set it again. And I'm not saying distance yourself from family members, but um, there are some negative people in some families too. And I think part of self-compassion is having that, that inner strength and self-love to say, yeah, no, mm -mm, Mm -hmm. not today. It's exhausting though. Yeah. You know, when it's in your family, it's really tiring. And I speak from experience because my mom Um, in her later years was pretty negative. Uh, She was mad. She was mad that her body was failing her in certain ways. And it made her really negative and it made her have bad behavior. Um, And it's exhausting trying to shift somebody like that. And I really think it hurt her physically. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, my mom was an incredibly negative person her whole life. And when she had some issues, they did an x-ray there. She had a mass on her heart that was completely benign. And the doctor had no idea how long it had been there. And you could see it on the x-ray. That's how big it was completely benign. It is not what caused her death at all. 
And I, I said, I, cause I was very honest with my mother. I'm like, look, that's all your anger. It congealed into a man. <laughs> you did it. You I did find that kind of funny. Yeah. Wow. But I do think that my mom's, I think so. There's a softer emotion under anger and it's usually fear. And then when you get to the, the soul level, we have these needs to be seen, to be heard, to be loved. There was a hole there that then was a fear that then eventually became an anger because anger is a lot more comfortable for people, right? It's less vulnerable. And I think in my mom's case that it was a huge contributor to her heart disease. Yeah, that's hard. And what eventually killed her was cancer. But um, And she was so mad because she was planning on dying of heart disease, not of cancer. Like, hello, you're planning on- You picked that. <laughs> like you get to pick. Oh my God. You made a really, really good point, Julie, a few minutes ago in that you do snap throughout the day. Correct. And I think that that's really important. For me, My mine is to make sure I go walk my dogs in a quiet place in nature every day, I don't listen to anything. I don't talk to anyone. I'm just very present in nature with the dogs. And, and that's my reset button. And that's where I process and let things go. But I think that so many people, especially with our audience being empaths, that we're being bombarded. It's like getting hit with emotional hail all the time right now. So do you just spontaneously do that? Just like, boom, I'm going to snap. Um, or do you physically snap your fingers? Or well, how do I, don't, I don't physically snap it anymore because I've integrated it into my life. But at the beginning, when you're, when you're just um, practicing snap, do it. Do the hand and arm motions because you'll remember them. Like my husband said, when he came to the book launch and I'm like, what'd you think? And he was like, well, at the beginning when you were teaching snap, I felt a little hokey pokey. And I said, good, because people remember the hokey pokey. Yes, so, they do. you know, I teach it like I teach it like the snap and then to the body and then the arms down and then the arms out and then the arms in prayer hands. So it's almost like a dance. And I have people move right, move left, move back, move forward, sit down, stand up. And we pick different things that we're snapping. It's anger. It's grief. It's anxiety. It's all the, you know, all the all the difficult emotions. But it's multimodality and it's also applicable to I, I, my background is with um, behaviorally disordered children and young adults and neurodivergent brain. Anyway, mm -hmm. um, and I'm thinking that, you know, you can use this method with anyone to help them learn to self-regulate, but also to feel like they have some control in a situation where it doesn't feel like there's any. Yeah, you know, there's always control and the control is our reaction. The right. control is our reaction to all the horrible things. So um, I really want to empower people. I really want to empower people. Um, and you said something about multimodality. So the reason that I do that whole dance, that whole somatic dance is I read this really cool book um, after I already developed SNAP and I already developed these hand and arm motions that completely validated what I did by explaining the way that human brains learn, remember, and process with like multi hooks. 
I can't tell you now because I can't remember, but um, it was like, oh my God, there's a method to my madness. And so I was able to just sort of say one sentence about that before teaching people the hokey pokey moves <laughs> so that they would know I wasn't insane. Mm -hmm. You know, um, that there was an actual science reason why I'm telling them to move their arms that way. So, so. important. All right. You write about something called bust your bra. I really want you to talk about that. <sighs> yeah. So this doesn't work for men. But that so that was in my first book. And really what that is about is when you're doing a loving kindness practice and you're feeling I actually feel it. It's almost like a like a hose, like a fire hose of love just coming out of my chest. And because I wear a bra, because I'm a woman, which is not to say that all women wear bras, but many women wear bras. It's like a feeling that you, it could break your bra. Like there's so much energy coming out of your chest that's love that you could that you could bust your bra. That's another great visual. See, people are going to remember that. I often get people to hide crystals in their bra to keep it near their heart chakra. So I could you could bust your bra that way too. I guess. <laughs> totally, really. If it's sharp, you could bust your bra. <laughs> And, you know, that that's a really basic energetic principle is to expand your auric field from your heart chakra to send that out. So the fact that you're doing that is beautiful. And that's oh, I didn't even know do. that. See, I'm groovier than I think. <laughs> that's great. What What is some of the science that backs up mindfulness in case there are any people listening going, but I don't have time to meditate? Oh my God. Um, so there's there's a an increase in gray matter in your brain. There's um from from exhaling longer at the beginning of your meditation, your heart rate and your blood pressure go down. There's a decrease in inflammation, which is huge, that meditators get the benefit of a decrease in inflammation because inflammation in your body can cause all sorts of illness. Um, I don't know if you believe that, but it's written about all the time that inflammation is a big no-no. So um, like people that people that meditate that have psoriasis, they can show that they have less flare ups, you know, so there's, there's been great science on this. There, there was also science that it, um, the telomeres, the edges of your chromosomes, which sort of fray and shorten as we age, that meditators don't have that happen. Um, and then what else? I mean, I could go on and on, I but it's, it's really good for you. Yeah, that's fascinating. I read a study called uh, The Immortality Secret, and it was about meditation because of what they were able to prove with our telomeres. Yeah. Absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah, and the thing about meditation is that it, when you become... Um, I don't know how long it would take to become, I don't know what I'm trying to say, good at it enough 
you you things get slowed down in your day-to-day -day life so i i actually take longer to respond because i'm really listening and if there's a conflict situation going on i'm actually breathing in for myself and I'm breathing out for the other person. And at the same time, I'm listening to what's happening. And then I'm judging how I want to respond. So it's like my, my amygdala, which is your, you know, snap reaction that you're not, not my snap, but a <laughs> reaction that you're going to make where you're not thinking out of anger or fear or whatever. If you're a longtime meditator, you get to your prefrontal cortex without really thinking about it because you're already pausing. It's that critical pause that's so helpful for us in interpersonal communication. Power of the pause. I couldn't agree more. With the brain chemistry of building new neural pathways across the corpus callosum, when you do meditation for a long period of time, it allows you to bring both hemispheres together, which gives you a more, a more complete view of things. It's not just an emotional response or a logical response. That is a thing. And what they're finding is that there's more integration than they previously taught. Like the model of the brain, right brain, left brain, that got sort of popularized was actually a more pediatric um, lesson. And what they're finding now is that we're more integrated anyway. When you have a meditator, you have a higher level of that. The brain science is so cool. I took Dan Siegel's um, interpersonal neurobiology class. I've taken a lot of classes from him, but my actual mentor is Rick Hansen, who wrote Hardwiring Happiness and Buddha's brain and resilient and his new book is on relationships and he's the guy that popularized taking in the good so don't waste a good feeling push it from a mental state to a neural trait and how you do that is just by taking enough seconds it's not minutes it's just seconds to let it land so that what fires together does wire together. So how I teach that to people is, that's a beautiful sunset, what's for dinner? No, that's a beautiful sunset. Wow, look at those colors. Isn't that incredible? All right, you've done it, that was enough time. Wire together, fire together to make a new neural connection so that your brain which has a negativity bias, it's not your fault, it does because it's a primate brain. So your brain will be a happier brain. Love and that. it's allowing you to be present in the moment rather than might, could, should, would, or things that already happened that are- Time traveling. Yeah. I was trying to make a graphic and I never was able to of like a colander that you're like pouring, you know, spaghetti into and the water's coming out. Like you don't want, a good uh, a good moment to be wasted. You want to use it for brain health. You actually have control over that. 
Yeah, that's a great reminder. And I think when we make time in our day to meditate, it's those moments happen more and more because we become more observant of everything. Correct. I always tell people, even if you have, you know, a minute, 60 seconds, just any time you have to just stop and pause and go within is going to reap all those wonderful scientific benefits you mentioned, but also it's going to help us be more cognizant of everything going on around us that is beautiful. So we can kind of amend a bit that negativity bias that, as you said, we all do have. I agree. You know, a lady last night um, was sharing something kind of traumatic. And um, I said, do you meditate? And she said, no, I don't meditate. I could never sit still. And I said, that's fine. Maybe a walking meditation would be good for you or Qigong would be good for you or Tai Chi would be good for you. Something where you're using your body, your body's in motion, but you're not worrying and ruminating because the name of the game is to try to not time travel forward and back and to just give your brain a break by by being where you are. I mean, it's so easy for me to do it with my cup of, of tea or coffee cutting vegetables, you know, walking my dog, whatever it is, it's so easy for me to do it because I've been doing it for so long. But if you're new at it, it's not that easy. You have to really try. Yeah, you really do. But it's worth it. It really is worth it. And I just think everybody should should get your book and give it a try and learn ways to at least calm down yeah. in the moment so that they can then start to meditate. So tell people where they can find you and where they can get the book. Um, so the book sold anywhere that books are sold, um, including Amazon. But if you want to um, support your local bookstore, they can absolutely order it. The website is like a library. It's like a free library. So I really recommend people spend a half hour noodling around the website, mindfulmethodsforlife.com, because all my teacher's books are in there. My teacher's newsletters, even books where it wasn't my teacher, but I thought the book was so good and helpful, it's in there. Um, My blogs are in there and there's probably three or 400 interviews, podcasts, newsprint, television. You know, I've been doing this and I like doing this. Um, And I mean, as much as I would love for them to get the book, they can glean enough without having to put out a penny just for my website. And I really recommend also that they start using my free podcast because that's meditations with poems. And where can they find that? Is that Spotify? Yeah, anywhere you get your, they'll find it on my website. They'll see it, but you know, anywhere people get their podcasts, like I have an iPhone, so it's got that podcast, um, you know, like app thing, but, but anywhere people get their podcasts. Perfect. And we'll put links to that in our show notes too, for everyone to find easily. Thank you so much for taking time to come on Enlightened Empaths. We really appreciate it. Thanks for asking me. I had no idea how it was going to go and what I was going to talk about. So (laughs) we appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you. And it's so apparent everything that you spoke of that this is service work for you. It is this isn't about hey, look at me or no, but you can feel it. And there's such a truth and a depth and 
it, you're you're living the compassion that you you're teaching other people to find. So thank you. Thank you. That's so nice. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please remember as always to show up, do great work and share your light. Take care.